How to Guide Social Emotional Learning. This is Becoming Parents, your survival guide for modern parenthood. I'm your host, Louise Lee. To get our latest episode preview or news updates, follow us on Instagram, becoming.parents. To access our full show notes and research articles, find us at becoming-parents.com. In today's episode, we have a conversation with early childhood educator Kara Zilas about her thoughtfully designed at-home lessons for parents who are looking for a good curriculum to follow. Kara is author of the book series Big World of Little Dude, Mom of Two, and Human to Therapy Dog Little Dude. Kara is a regular volunteer with Little Dude in New York City's hospitals, libraries, and the senior centers. Kara tells us her amazing story about how she and the little dude together discovered the power and importance of empathy in early childhood development. Kara also does a deep dive on the social emotional learning framework she uses in her teaching, its long-lasting benefits into adulthood, and how parents and teachers can incorporate them into daily activities. Welcome, Kara. Thank you for being here with us today. Hello, Louise. Thank you so much for having us um, on your podcast. We're so excited to be here and to chat about learning at home and how that, that looks. That is awesome. I know you have two young children of your own. How are you doing in this uh, particular unusual time? Uh, we're actually doing really well. We try and focus on the positives in our life and all the things we have to be grateful for. And I feel like that really helps us get through the moments where it feels overwhelming. We kind of just bring it back to the fact that we have our health, we have our each other, we have food and a shelter and love in our homes. And if we, we just keep focusing on that and that's what gets us through so we're actually doing okay i love it focus on the positive i think nowadays we really need to keep reminding of ourselves what we actually have and not only yes. you're able to you know organize your life and bring kindness to uh, the family that you have but also you're producing an awesome series of a weekly at-home lessons can you tell us a little bit more about that sure so I have a daughter who is four and when school was canceled, I wanted to continue her learning at home. So I started doing activities with her. And as I started speaking to other mothers and uh, parents in my community, I just heard that they had a terror in their voice or a fear in their voice of, we don't know what to do. We are you know, each school has different ways of how they're handling this. And some parents just felt like they were lost on an island. And so I decided that I was going to create uh, a simple, easy to follow lessons and activities so parents could use them to help their own children um, at home. And also, uh, a lot of schools are doing Zoom, which is great if you have older children, but I find for the younger child, it's very hard to get them to focus on a Zoom class. And I don't think it's that engaging or meaningful. It's nice as a way to check in, but I don't know how 
um, engaging it is in terms of any academic learning. So that's why I wanted to create something that was very low technology, simple to follow activities uh, that were fun and easy to do uh, for parents. Yeah, I noticed that in your weekly activity, there's a quite a bit of a cooking uh, and a, for creativity. So is this something you and your kids actually quite enjoy doing? That's why you you purposely include part of your curriculum. Yeah, I, I did because we're at home. Why not teach our children skills that they need for their life? And cooking is something that we are doing every day. And it's something that parents are now doing all the time. We don't have schools who are providing us lunch. Uh, Many of us don't have access to restaurants or going out for food like we usually maybe have done in our life. And a lot of people are just cooking all their meals at home, including ourselves. And so I want to, I think it's important that children have practical life skills. And I think cooking is an important aspect of that. So teaching children that how the food gets on their table and and they actually enjoy it. They like the responsibility of cutting and mixing. And you can also incorporate math into it as well. Mm. So how do you include math in cooking? Well, you've got to do all the measurements. And so you, yeah, you right. could do, you, if you needed a cup of something, you could actually use two half cups and then just be like, get them to kind of play around with the food. Um, you know, you could be, be like, oh, look at this cup. Oh, now it makes two half cups. So there you're teaching ideas of parts and holes and fractions. But that is a very good point. I never thought about it using cooking because we also do a lot of a home cooking during this period. But uh, I, I will definitely try that trick and then teach her to recognize the more numbers and understand the concept of very abstract concepts as well. Yes, yes. So a lot of parents are actually having trouble balancing working from home while keeping their kids occupied. And what do you think are some ways that parents can try to motivate their kids for self-directed play and learning? Yeah, uh, I think as parents and children as well, we're so used to being um, very much in each other's space and directing play and being there to answer questions, which is all very important. But I also think that we need to um, establish uh, children to be able to play by themselves. So setting them up with activities where they don't need much input from you. Uh, So it's about uh, like what we have in our home is that we create these like activity zones. So they're sort Mm -hmm. of an art zone where there's all the art supplies already there. So if I have a phone call or an email or if I need to do my own work or attend to my other child, I can say, oh, we're going to do some art now and there's everything that's already there and set up. Or like this morning I made Play-Doh, which takes a very quick amount of time to play and that's something that she played with now for half an hour. Um, Mm. So it's about just setting up zones. So it's like, what does your child enjoy playing? Is it Legos and blocks? Is it arts and crafts? Is there a dollhouse? Is there a kitchen, dress-ups? Um, and you could set up the zones that you actually just don't put away and you can sort of direct them to be like, well, this is your time to create um, in the dollhouse and make it attractive for children. Like I created a little, my daughter's very into fairies and gnomes and 
that sort of play. So I have all these little figurines and then I got some wood from outside and I set up like a little zone for her fairies to play. So it's attractive to her. And so that's some ideas that we do um, when I need a, a moment um, for myself to do. We all need our own time to take care of some more adult business. Yes. <laughs> so having themselves being able to self-occupied uh, is extremely important. My kid, her problem is actually focus for a long time. She cannot actually play for more than five minutes by herself. So is this something that we can gradually train them into for the attention? I think so. I mean, again, children this age don't have a long attention span. That's just the way that their mind is developed. Um, but I do think that we can encourage with enticing activities and using materials that they love. So, you know, they might like Legos, dolls, as I said, all those different ideas where you could sort of set it up so you can you know, maybe you could use an egg timer or a, or a cooking timer and like add a little minute and just be like, when this timer goes off, you can finish playing here. So it gives them like a oh. signal. And yeah. then like each day you could do it for five minutes. And then the next day you could do it for six minutes. And the next day you could do it for seven minutes and make it like a competition. You have to play by yourself. And when the timer goes off, you can come to mummy to ask a question or we can do something else together. So you could use, you could use that as a way to sort of um, encourage her to play for longer by herself. I like that. That is a, like an endurance training for kids' brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could you could try it. You know, you just gotta. It's all trial and error too. Mm hmm. And I I see that that you have some very interesting component in your lesson, such as like kind time and meditation. I I, I wonder if this is something also that you supplement with this kind of attention training. Yeah, I I think that's important. The meditation, it, it's for self-regulation and it's something that is we use when she is having a tough time, whether she's frustrated or overtired and gets frustrated um, or gets sad about something. But mostly we use it for something that we do together as enjoyable. So it's like that five minutes and we practice breathing in fun ways, whether it's with bubbles or blowing up a balloon or with flowers that we smell. So we practice the breathing in like moments of connection and fun with each other. And then when she's having a frustrating moment, I can say to her, let's practice the bunny breaths. Let's breathe like a bunny or let's pretend like we're blowing up a balloon. And it kind of shifts their attention to something else. And then she'll take, or I'll just say simply, let's just take a simple deep breath you know, and it shifts mm -hmm. their mind in the moment. Does it always work? No. But does it work 80% of the time? Yes, it does. So I kind of make it as, you know, something fun and enjoyable we do in a calm moment together. And then when she's having a frustrating moment, it's a tool that I use that is like the first tool that I use because it's <laughs> quick, it's easy, everyone has their breath. And yeah. You don't need anything and you could just do something fun like, uh, you know, yeah, like blowing up a balloon, bubbles, let's have a pinwheel, let's blow out a candle, things like that where they used, you've, you've already modeled with it 
with them previously. Yeah, I actually uh, listened to your um, meditation little video, which is really really cute,、mm. and I think、uh, kids can really relate to it, and it's different、mm. yeah. from the meditation that. Adults are familiar with. Yeah,、um, I I really like the technique that you used here. So, what inspired you to create these kind of meditation, and how did you discover these kind of techniques? Ah,、uh, it's just from experience, and also what works for me、um, about meditation and taking deep breaths and taking that moment、mm-hmm. in time just to sit still and be quiet and ah.、Uh, It also goes into like we the program that I have created.、Uh, we follow the Castle, which is the collaborative academic social and emotional learning body. They have、mm-hmm. a framework,、um, mm-hmm. and part of that framework is about self regulation. And meditation、mm-hmm. is a great way to self regulate your emotions because children, just like adults. Have a huge range of emotions, and actually, children are probably better at showing their emotions than adults. They just wear them on their sleeves.、Um, yeah. So it's it's good to name the emotion. I see you're being frustrated, and acknowledge it. Like I see that you're frustrated. I'm sorry that you're frustrated, and acknowledge it, and then try and give them the techniques that you've done in the calm moments to help them in those、uh, moments of flurry. Absolutely, because、um, when I think about kids being fussy, I think a lot of parents are really scared to get into a screaming contest, or they end up crying.、Mm-hmm. And this is, I guess, it can be one part of format for them to express their emotions. Yeah. But at the other, on the other hand, a lot of parents feel very helpless to. Channel these kind of emotion or guide these kind of emotion to a little bit more positive things to shorten their crying time to redirect、uh, their attention.、Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about、uh, this、uh, castle framework that you're referring to? Sure. So the castle framework is、um, it's. Just the social and emotional learning framework that they use to make sure that all parts of your social and emotional being are met. So it's about self awareness, self management. So self awareness is about you know other people, and and yourself amongst other people. Self management. So that's about like managing、mm-hmm. your own emotions, responsible responsible decision making. Relationship skills and social awareness, and、um, this sort of links to you know curriculum and instruction, like school-wide practices and policies, and then it links to the family and community partnerships. So it's not just about what do you do in one place. It's like how does the school, classroom, home, and community connect all together within this platform. Hmm. This is very interesting because now we are in extended a period where homeschool becomes the only option for a lot of parents,、mm-hmm. and many parents are actually worried about because of the social distancing practice, there will be lack of social interaction for、mm. kids, and when we coming out of this lockdown and go back to our normal daily life, the kids might be scared. 
of getting in touch with people, socializing with people, because we tell them it's germy and you need to be careful right. and stay clean. Um, do you think this is a real risk in impacting our kids' behavior? And how can parents prepare their kids for going back to their normal social life? Yeah, I mean, this is the one component that bothers me the most is not having my daughter play with other children because for this age, socialization is more important than anything else, more important than academics. It's really where children learn how to communicate and be with other people and be within a classroom community. Um, so it's one thing that I struggle with in how to, like just for her, um, mm -hmm. And the sadness that it brings me too, like it affects us too. But I think children are resilient. They're going mm -hmm. to go back into their classrooms and they're going to love seeing their friends. And I see it as children are just going to rebound and be able to go on and play. And I think it's more adults projecting their fears rather mm -hmm. than children having those issues themselves. Because I think children are way more resilient than we give them credit for. And I think once they see their friends, they'll be so excited to see their friends. They'll just play like nothing's wrong. And also, yeah, and I guess the germ thing, yes, but I think kids are just going to play no matter what. Yeah, actually, I noticed uh, for my daughter, um, she... She cannot play with them in person, of course, but we do a lot of uh, Zoom play dates. Mm -hmm. So the kids uh, yesterday, actually, they were having a birthday party for mm -hmm. a girl of her classroom. Mm -hmm. And all of the kids showed up and we sing a happy birthday song for her. And my daughter actually took out one of her cupcakes that she made um, to show her classmate and put a candle on it and say, I know you can't eat it but I'm going to help you blow the candle just to pretend that you can. Right. <laughs> so that was really, really cute. So sweet. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's a something that, you know, we're trying to uh, reinforce in our household as well, that there is a still connections with outside. There is a still yes. connections with their peers. And I feel um, it, although it's very challenging, but, we should still maintain that kind of connection or channel open for kids to um, have a means to speak to their peers because it's so different yes. when you speak to the parents versus the friends. I agree. And then, you know, you can use FaceTime to talk with family and friends as well. That's what we've been using. But also I think mm -hmm. kids don't have really a concept of time and maybe to, I, I can only talk for my own daughter, but I think she's happy. She's got both her parents at home She's got her brother here and she's with her family. I know not all children are in the same situation. I think there are many children who are in homes that aren't safe and uh, aren't safe and that the schools provide food and safety. So I know this doesn't apply for all families, but um, I think children are resilient. Mm -hmm. yeah. They are very, very resilient yes. and very changeable based on the environment they're in. You, you touched upon something about academic learning mm -hmm. uh, at the early stage is not as important as uh, social emotional learning. Yes. Uh, are they mutually exclusive in your mind? Um, I think that they go hand in hand. Um, there is a lot of research done um, of the benefits of having a social and emotional learning along with academics. 
Um, Mm -hmm. Learning social and emotional skills is learning about others. It's about creating social behavior. And it actually affects academic performance because if you feel safe in your classroom and connected to your peers, uh, it's going to put you in a better state for learning. So, and, and social and emotional learning is all about creating community, how you see yourself in your community and how you connect with others. And it touches on things like empathy and kindness. And I think those are important skills to teach young children because that could maybe mitigate ideas of bullying as they grow older. Because if they understand that words and things hurt other people and what empathy actually is, then maybe it will sort of um, stop bullying later on down the line. Yeah. They go together. I totally agree, especially with um, a lot of the online bullying happening nowadays. I think Mm. it's getting a lot of attention Mm -hmm. from the parents and from the school community as well. Yes. And people are trying to understand the psychologies behind uh, these kind of behavior. And, uh, I agree with you that early childhood education for sympathy, compassion, these are very crucial to build out through, you know, very young age. Yes. So if we go through these kind of training for our kids, obviously every single kid is different. Um, Is there some way that we can know that we're doing a good job or we still need to improve? Is there like a, some kind of a competency measurement, I guess? Yeah, I, I think that there is. I think that we can measure social and emotional learning um, just like we measure anything else. We just have to be creative. Yes, there's not a test where you can give A, B, and C and they write <laughs> right. down their answers, but you can observe children and see how they're acting and how they're relating to each other and, and, I, and the language that they use too. Like sometimes my daughter will be like, that's not kind. Like that's something that we say, is it kind or unkind? And I think it's about using the language and then are they using the language when they're in a social situation, how are they behaving and kind of have it as more of an observational um, measure Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. rather than something where they do a test and is it right or wrong? I think it's Mm -hmm. more of an observation. Yeah. And yeah. how they're connecting to others and how they react to other people. Feels like this is something that they have to learn through experience. Yes. And, and, the, and, and the, probably the most of uh, the best teachers will be the parents um, to the kids because they spend a lot of time together. Yes. Um, and, and, and obviously, you know, every single family is different. Yes. How can we actually educate ourselves to be better role models for our kids then, in your opinion? Uh, I think it's a it's a it's a partnership. Schools and classrooms and teachers and home should be a partnership. So yes, mm. uh, teaching these skills definitely is important. That it starts in the home and it's modelled in the home, but then it should mm. be carried on in the classroom. Um, in case it isn't being taught at home, or in case there isn't them those models. To your earlier point of. Um, the idea of it starting in the home. I think it's an important relationship. I also see that you do a lot of volunteer work. So naturally, I will think, you know, 
your kids will get a lot of influence from your uh, kindness and your work to the community as well. And that is a learning by practice. So um, do you think this kind of activity, it will bring a lot of value um, for the kids upbringing as well? Yes, 100%. A big world of little dude began and is inspired by a real dog called Little Dude. He is a therapy dog, and when we got Little Dude, he gave us so much love, and he was such a sweet dog that I decided to train him to be a therapy dog, and we've been volunteering with the Good Dog Foundation, which is an organization based in New York City, and we go into schools, hospitals, universities, old age care facilities, all over the city and visit with people um, to bring them snuggles and happiness and smiles. And it was through this experience that I really realized what being kind to others meant, like being kind to someone that I did not know and being in a situation where, yes, the dog is may not uh, make them better or change their situation. However, it's about um, a moment in time where you can have a positive effect on someone's day. And it doesn't matter how big or small it is. It only takes something small to help someone and to be kind. And so this idea about being kind to others was something that I wanted to share with the children in the classroom that I was teaching in at the time. And so I decided to bring the dog into the classroom to tell them the story about little dude and how he's kind to others and to give them the lesson about kindness. And then I thought, oh, I'll write a book about this so I can share it with more children. And then I saw a real unmet need in the early age childhood classroom of why aren't we teaching explicitly what is empathy? What is kindness? We teach children letters, numbers, art, science, um, we teach them so many other things. Why aren't we teaching them these fundamental building blocks of how to be a good person? And why isn't there more social and emotional curriculums for young children? So I decided to write my own and uh, make it a literacy-based curriculum. And uh, yeah, so that and that's how it all began. And the things you introduce a little dude into your classroom, did you witness some kind of a change or behaviors in your students? Well, it's about building community. So it's not just one aspect, you know, it's to do with all the teachers in the classroom building community. And this is just one part of it that helped them like work as a as a classroom of students together to be kind to each other, to, to help mm -hmm. each other. So I definitely think it 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 was beneficial. Mm -hmm. I I noticed that even though kids at a very young age they can pick up certain um, behaviors mm -hmm. from TV they watch or parents that they witness having conversation, and sometimes not all behaviors that they learn from school are good. Um, <laughs> particularly sometimes they can be naughty together. They can mm -hmm. show uh, you know um, fussiness or they can be picky um, on all sorts of, uh, you know, things. Um, but I, I, I'm just curious, as you teach them these kind of, you know, kindness to be emp uh, empathetic 
for each other? Do you find them helping each other more and in generally more happy? Yeah, I, I think that also to your point where you just made about like sometimes it's bad behaviors in the classroom. I think at that young age, they want to play out and test boundaries. So I think that it's okay for children to be quote unquote naughty or disruptive or to test boundaries because they feel like that is an environment that they can do it. And then the role of the teacher is to guide them and to show them a different way. Um, that's how we worked in our classroom. I mean, yes, if a child is continually disruptive, maybe there needs to be something more going on. But when children are doing things that are disruptive, they're just pushing the boundaries and testing like the limits of of themselves. And it's a way of discovering like we're not all always good, even as adults. Mm -hmm. So it's like the classroom is a safety net of, oh, what if I push a friend? What will the consequence be? Oh, this is the consequence. Okay, so I won't push my friend anymore. So I don't think that bad behavior is necessarily a bad thing. I think it's about a children learning and discovering who they are and where their mm-hmm. boundaries lie and how far mm-hmm. they can push them and just it's self-discovery. So it's interesting that you discuss about a boundary because this is a where um, different consequences can come back. So from the children's perspective, uh, they can push a friend and then the friend will stop playing with them. Therefore, that is a one kind of consequence that they may or may not like to live with. Yeah, well, the or the friend might cry. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Or they might be disciplined by a teacher or a parent, which is uh, probably a little bit more scary to them. But they don't necessarily say, well, it's because my friend don't play with me, so next time I won't. But maybe it's because of fear. Therefore, I'm not going to. Is there differences between these kind of consequences well them. i think that you got to turn around and say well how would you feel if you were pushed oh mm. well that i wouldn't like it so if you wouldn't like it that means your friend wouldn't like it either mm-hmm. so you kind so of empathy. have to yeah put it back on them what if this happened to you what if you mm-hmm. were pushed what if someone took a toy you were playing with and grabbed it how would that make you feel Mm-hmm. and kind of mm-hmm. turn it around and then they have the light bulb moment oh yeah I wouldn't really like that that much so mm-hmm. maybe it will take them one time two times ten times and you just keep using that same language and bringing it back to them well rather than saying why did you push be like how would you feel if you were pushed Because Mm. kids don't really think about the why. I pushed them because I wanted to or it was a lack of impulse or I wanted (laughs) what they were playing with. And kind of just no, like giving them short, direct answers. Like no, Mm. that's not what we do in our home. That's not what we do in our classroom. How would this make you feel if this happened to you? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. switch the roles and then they actually can feel if in the different person's shoes mm-hmm. and then how they will how they will be impacted yes. and that is uh, definitely uh you know step number one for teaching them the empathy and mm-hmm. i really like on uh, that aspect um so it sounds like this is a, a very core focus for early age development yeah the social and emotional learning um 
How do you think that you know translates into later on in their life? Yeah, well,、uh, Maria Montessori, who is、um, you know the Montessori te- the schools are named after, and her philosophy of teaching, she had something called、um, what she calls the absorbent mind. So during the first six years of life, children have a very different way of learning than adults, and at this age, children have sponge-like brains. And they are、mm-hmm. able to soak up vast amounts of information from their environment, and they do it in an effortless way, continuously, all the time. Like think, in the first six years of life, you learn how to crawl, walk, talk, read, write. You are learning all these fundamental things, and then all the learning kind of just slows down from then. Like、mm-hmm. think, you know, if you think from. Zero to six, and then you think, oh, from twenty to twenty-six. How much are you growing from twenty to twenty-six, opposed from zero to six? You are learning、mm-hmm. so much fundamentals、mm-hmm. of life in that first few years. So it's at these times that、um, that they're constructing their individuality. They're building themselves into the adult they will ultimately become, and.、Um, The development that takes place during these first six years is vitally important. Children develop eighty-five percent of their core brain structure by this time. By the time they're five, and、uh, the children will build on this core foundation through the rest of his life. So it's at this point in time where we really have to set the stage of what's important and the social and emotional aspect. And、mm-hmm. bringing it back to that castle core competency of self awareness, self management, relationships—all those important things are important to set up now.、Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that you mentioned the character building as well, because a lot of people believe they send the kids to,、uh, say, sports league, these kind of uh, uh, you know activity as.、Uh, Uh, not only for competition purpose, but also for building their character.、Mm-hmm. Um, but comparatively speaking, if all parents can invest more time, more attention、uh, in the child's early age in these kind of self awareness, self management skills, they will benefit actually much, much profoundly down the road. Instead of、uh, in the teenage years, and they become rebellious and then stick them into a sports camp. Yeah, I think it's it's about creating a whole like it's a whole for the whole child. So one thing isn't better than the other. It's more about、uh, doing lots of different things. So I think the、mm. sport aspect is important at young age as well because the physicality and movement is so important,、um, mm-hmm. and also like it's team building. And the、mm-hmm. movement aspect, I think, which is also part of the, my at-home lessons, movement is so important at this young age too.、Mm. So that's like another key component. So it's just about like taking bits from each, and like also where is your child at? Where what、mm-hmm. do they need? What do they enjoy doing? What attracts them? What do they engage with? And sort of make it very focused on your child because it's not a one size fits all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think every child is different.、Uh, so, I agree. Yeah, and of course, your kids are very blessed because they have、uh, a mom 
who is uh, very well educated in this subject matter. And uh, you have given lots of thoughts and yes. bring these. My passion. Keys. Education is my passion because I think it is the key mm-hmm. to unlocking so much for our future. Yeah. And a lot of parents, maybe they're, they're um, less aware on this particular subject. And they are always seeking for different kind of helps. So is there any resources that you can recommend? Sure. Well, I have a book series that teach children all these skills. And in the back of each each book, you can sing and read. So it's set to music because hmm. music's also a great component of teaching children. Like next time you want your child to get in the bath, get dressed, try singing it to them. Oh. And start and just <laughs> it does, you don't even have to have a good voice. I'll say it's time to get dressed, or just like make up a funny song, tune, and and it it really gets their attention and gets them going. So I think music is an important part. So my books you can mm. sing and read, and then in the back of each book is like a guide. So it um further ex- it, it further goes into the theme and how you can talk about it with your child. Um, and there's activities, and so that's a good starting point um, that I can recommend. Uh, and where can we find these awesome books? Uh, they're on the website, worldoflittledo.com, and all the books you can get them in hard copies, but you can also buy them as ebooks. Those are really great resources, and thank you also for making them at such an affordable price. Yes. Uh, it's it's actually very very great to, to be you know accessible for a lot of families. Yes, and I think that that's also important because there's so much out there, um, mm-hmm. and especially at this time where people are fi- facing financial troubles, um, mm-hmm. I want uh, my resources to be accessible for everyone. That is a true kindness in its own doing. And we will be listing Kara's website and her recommendations in our show notes too. Please check out our website at becoming-parents.com to find out more about these useful information. Thank you. Thank you very much, Kara, for joining us today for a wonderful episode and teaching us about the importance of social and emotional learning. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks again for tuning into Capstone International's Becoming Parents. More episodes can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google. For informative articles and useful resources, find us at becoming-parents.com. Check out our show notes to learn more about our guest speaker and today's topic, and use the links to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Until next time. Stay healthy, stay safe, stay happy.